Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome to church again this morning. I'm Michael, one of the pastors here at Salt. Great to be with you this morning. Um, And I hope you're enjoying UCI. I'm enjoying UCI um, because I'm playing this game, um, trying to spot the world-class athlete. (laughs) Um, So I see all these cyclists going around the city. Um, Is that a world-class athlete who spent his life (laughs) for this event? Or is that just someone in my street going for a cycle? It's usually pretty obvious, uh, but it's been great. All the potholes around my streets have been repaired, which is fantastic. Um, and I got to church earlier than I normally do. It's quicker. Um, so I just say, bring it on, UCI. Um, but welcome, if you're tuning in, if you haven't been able to get here, welcome. Uh, great to have you on the live stream. And if you're, welcome, if you're new here, uh, welcome to you as well. I'm going to pray for us as we dive into Acts chapter 16. Let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who speaks Uh, You are a God who shines light into darkness. We pray that you'd speak to us now, you'd shine light to our path, that we might hear your voice, uh, know the things that we should know from you, uh, how we should live in your world, how how we can honour Jesus, trust Jesus, love him more. Uh, Father, we pray for your help as as we listen. We know this is a spiritual exercise. Uh, So help me, Lord, as I speak faithfully and clearly. Help us as we listen together. Uh, to bring honour and glory to your name. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm sounding a little bit boomy, is that right? They're working on it. Okay. Now let me ask you a question. How would you know that you've seen the hand of God at work? How would you know you've seen the hand of God at work? Uh, Where is it that you see there is God at work very clearly? Uh, That's the question I want to raise with you this morning. Um, Maybe in your own life, when do you know, yes, God is alive, he's present, he is with me? Uh, What would you point to? And here's the thing, is it only in the good things or is is it also in the bad things as well? Uh, Is it, um, do you see the hand of God when your sporting team wins or do you see it when he, when, when your sporting team loses? Uh, Is it when interest rates go up and you're panicking? Or is it when interest rates are going down? Uh, Is God present or absent in the disaster? Uh, That was the big question of COVID, wasn't it? Is God in this? Is this a work of God? What's going on? Now, some people would say the answer to that question is, you know when God is at work because you can't explain it for yourself. It's the inexplicable. Explicable, that's where God is at work. Um, some people refer to it as the God moment. I can't explain it. It just happened. I have no idea how it happened, but wow, God showed up. God is at work. Um, now, the chapter we're looking at this morning, uh, I want to suggest to you, read wrongly, could lead you in that direction, could lead you to that answer. Uh, lots of miraculous things are happening uh, the journey that Paul and Silas take, uh, it appears God is guiding them by miraculous means. There's all kinds of things going on, isn't there? 
But what, what is going on? And what are we to make of that? What's the significance of that for us? Um, have Acts chapter 16 open in front of you. We're going to work our way through this next journey in, in the book of Acts. Um, so come with me. Uh, let me suggest a way forward. We're going to look at two ways, I think, to misread this chapter. Two, two ways to misread this chapter. I want to suggest a better way to read it. Uh, and then I want to point to the, the main point of Acts 16, the real point that you can't miss. And then I want to, to help us take some things away uh, for today for ourselves. Before we get there, though, orientation, background, context. Uh, we're in the Unstoppable series. By the way, it's the Unstoppable Gospel. It's not the Unstoppable series. This series will stop eventually. <laughs> okay? We're not far away. Uh, and we'll, we'll pick up Acts again. But where are we? Um, the good news of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, is ringing out to the ends of the earth. Uh, Paul is with uh, Silas, uh, and he's on his second missionary journey. Uh, do you remember at the end of the last chapter, Paul and Barnabas have had such a sharp disagreement, they've actually split ways. Um, Barnabas uh, has gone with Mark to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. Paul takes Silas and picks up Timothy along the way, and that's the journey of Acts 16. So that's where we're at. Um, have a look at this map and you'll see, big point, the gospel goes to Europe, out of Asia, across to Europe. Um, notice the places there. We, we started Antioch in Syria. It's kind of like a home base. Remember the Antioch church there? Um, that's where the first missionary started and, and ended. Um, through the area of Galatia, all those little that clump of cities there, Monday, Turkey, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch in Poseidia, and then all the way in this chapter over to Troas on the coast of modern-day Turkey, uh, and then eventually across the water into modern-day Greece, into the city of Philippi. The gospel reaches Europe. That map makes it look pretty boring, but when you read the story, it's anything but boring, isn't it? It's not an ordinary journey. In fact, there's some extraordinary events that occur along the way. There's miraculous events that occur along the way. You can't miss them, can you? Have a look with me just quickly now. Verse, verses 6 and 7, put your eyes down there. What do you notice there? The Holy Spirit keeps them from preaching in Asia. The Holy Spirit prevents them from preaching in Asia. To verse 7, when they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter, enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. Um, that's that uh, midsection of the journey there. They want, to, they want to go south, they want to go north. The Spirit says no. They, they, that's how they end up over at Troas. Uh, that's remarkable. Um, look down in verse 9, Paul sees a vision, very clearly, a man in a vision uh, who's begging him to come to Macedonia. He sees this clear vision of a man saying, come and help us, come over, come across the water into Macedonia. That's modern-day Greece. Preach the gospel there, you would assume. And then later in Philippi, verse 16, there's a female slave who has a spirit that enables her to predict the future. Uh, she earns lots of money from fortune-telling, or actually she doesn't earn lots of money, her owner's earn lots of money. She's a slave. Uh, she's trapped in this world of fortune-telling, which makes a lot of money, as it does today. Not, not much has changed. But she keeps yelling out, um, as, as uh, Andy 
dramatically read for us. Um, uh, in, in, interesting the accents that we put on to these people. Um, but she's yelling out, here, here is the mo- this, these, these guys, they're servants of the Most High God and they're telling you how to be saved. You'd think there's great advertising, um, but Paul, verse 18, it says he became annoyed. It's actually a bit of an unfair translation. More accurate is he became so grieved, so grieved. Look at this woman's situation, that she's in this situation uh, as a fortune teller, filled with a spirit, an evil spirit. And so um, he commands the spirit to leave her. Uh, The spirit does leave her, but also the money that she earns leaves her keepers. They They are angry. They bring Paul and Silas to the magistrates. Uh, and, and then you get Paul and Silas being treated very much like Jesus, don't you? There's a false charge whipped up. Um, there's an angry crowd at play uh, in verse 22. Uh, Paul and Silas are stripped, they're beaten, they're flogged, they're eventually put into prison, uh, their feet are securely placed in stocks. And, and there they are, they're meant to be on mission, the, the gospel's meant to be going out to the ends of the earth, and they're in prison, locked in stocks in the inner cell. And so what do you do when you're locked in prison, in the inner cell? You sing hymns and you pray. That's what they did at least. All the prisoners can hear them. Uh, A violent earthquake occurs. The prison doors fly open. The chains come off. That is miraculous. That is extraordinary, isn't it? That, that, That has occurred at that moment. Now, how could you misread that? Well, let me, let me suggest to you, you could misread this whole chapter by coming at it with great scepticism, coming at it as a cynic, as some people do. You hear of these extraordinary events and you're actually cynical. Have they actually happened? I'm not sure that actually happened. Um, in fact, you might say that can't happen. That cannot be reality. Um, either because you've never experienced them or because you're a naturalist. The naturalist says there's only the natural world, there's no supernatural world. Um, Everything that we see and touch, what we can explain, that is what is. And so it clearly didn't happen that way. Uh, Why is it written here? You might say, well, it's been written by primitive people, unscientific people, and that's the way they saw the world, that's the way they looked at the world. Um, they couldn't explain it, so they say, therefore, it's a miracle. We can explain it, so we say, of course, it's not a miracle. Uh, that's how you'd approach it if you're a, if you're a cynic, if you're a, if you're a sceptic. Uh, but there's another way of reading the chapter, also a wrong way of reading it, and that is as the sensationalist. I'm not referring to um, journalism, although they're, they're guilty of it as well. Um, what we see here in the chapter is only the miraculous. Uh, what we see here is God at work at the point of the miracles. Um, and because we can't explain it, therefore God must be at work at that point in the chapter. And if you can explain it using science or whatever, then God is not at work at that point. He's only at work at the inexplicable. Uh, it's called deism. I was reminded of this this week. I dug out my thoughts from from years ago in college, uh, deism, the idea that God made the world, uh, he is the creator, um, but after he made the world, he, he left it to do its own thing. 
Uh, he's, he's like, the analogy is the analogy of the watchmaker. He makes the watch, he winds it up, and then he lets it go. And it's running of its own accord, and, and God doesn't have anything to do with it, until God puts his fingers in the cogs. And then you go, ah, oh, something's changed. That is God. That's, that's the miracles. Another way of referring to this kind of idea is the God of the gaps, where we understand lots and lots of things. Occasionally we don't understand something that's the gap. There is God. That's what there is God at work. Uh, and you can see great problems with that, can't you? That as we understand more and more, as science has developed, uh, the more you press into that, um, those gaps get smaller and smaller and smaller, and God gets smaller and smaller and smaller, until you end up with a situation, well, does God even exist? Do we even need God? Because we can understand it all. Um, so, you know, uh, centuries ago, thunder from the sky was God's anger. Today we understand thunder to be weather patterns. Uh, we, we, it's not, not from God, some might say. And so even as a Christian, you could be a cynic, you could take that approach, or you could be a sensationalist. Um, and I reckon Luke is saying, no, 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 both are wrong. Both are a misreading of what I'm saying. Both are a misreading of God. So to the cynic, here is Luke, the author, uh, a doctor, a trusted and educated man, um, saying, no, 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 from beginning to end, my book is an historical account. I'm not just writing about people, places, culture that fit with, we know, fit with the history of outside the Bible. I'm telling you about the things that happened in every verse, the miraculous and the non-miraculous, the ordinary and the extraordinary, the mundane and the things that are completely unique uh, to this part of the Bible, to this part of the world. And even more than that, Luke is saying, at this point, it's really interesting, that he's an eyewitness to these things. He doesn't make that explicit, but I don't know whether you noticed it. Um, from verse 11, the, the language moves from they, it's Luke reporting they, Paul and Silas and the companions, to we. It seems that Luke, the author, has joined them on this part of the journey. Uh, he's actually been part of the action uh, so it's, it's we, that is me, Luke, Paul, Silas, other companions, are on this journey. And as you look at the historical data of this chapter, you realise it adds up to the historical data we've got outside of the Bible. That the historical and cultural records can, are consistent with what Luke is telling us here. And so there's no reason to doubt what Luke records about the miracles any more than there is to doubt about the city, the places, uh, the culture. In fact, the miracles make sense of what he's saying, don't they? They are proclaiming the Lord Jesus. They're going in his strength. It is, it is Jesus' mission by his spirit. This is God at work. This is a God who can do miracles. Uh, it's completely consistent. Unless you're prejudiced against miracles, unless you say it cannot be, then you won't even listen and hear and see, actually, this is God at work. Now, I know these things are complicated, um, and you, if you're checking out Christianity, if you're still unsure about these things, uh, and it's worth pressing into miracles, uh, I want to encourage you to come along to the life course. Um, so, in a few weeks' time, uh, in October, 
Uh, we're going to be stepping through over five weeks. Who is Jesus? What does he come to do? Answering your questions. So if that's you, come along. Or maybe it's a friend that you've got. Uh, and one of the questions is, is the Bible an accurate historical record of actually what happened? Can we trust the Bible to know Jesus and know what he said? Uh, we're going to press into that question. We're going to get confidence on that question. Uh, we also, we'll also talk about things like miracles. So make sure you come along. Um, but So Luke, Luke is, um, is, he wants to hit hard on the cynic, but he also wants to hit hard on the sensationalist as well. I think Luke is saying, and if you read carefully, there's more going on here than just miracles, uh, than just the miraculous. In fact, sometimes you read through the chapter and we're so focused on the miracles, if that's our, if that's our bent, we're actually missed. There's a whole lot of other stuff going on that's actually pretty ordinary and mundane and God is at work in those pieces as well. And it's no surprise, is it, because God is the God of the ordinary and the extraordinary. There's the missing piece. There's the better way to read the chapter. God is the God of the miraculous and what we can explain. Uh, He's God of both. He's the God of the laws of nature that you can work out with science. And he can also alter the laws of nature as he chooses because he's the creator. Uh, He can achieve his purposes using very ordinary means or he can achieve his purposes using extraordinary means, or it can be a combination of both. Uh, there's lots of examples of that in this chapter. When, when Paul is kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching, uh, we do make a lot of assumptions at that point, don't we? We're not told how the Spirit stops him. It could have been through the ordinary, it could have been through the extraordinary, it could have been through a fellow traveller. Um, some people have said it could have been Luke who said, I don't think that's a wise idea to go north. Or it could have been uh, something he felt from within by the Spirit. Or it could have been the Spirit speaking through a prophet. Uh, It could have been uh, through sickness that is side, we can't make that journey. It could have been safety. It could have been opposition from the Jews. The Spirit can use all kinds of means, we're not told. And also, notice the release from jail. It's actually, it's ironic, isn't it? It's a miraculous event but it's the result of a natural event. It's the result of an earthquake. Uh, see, there may have been, this may have been a very unusual event for that part of the world, or it actually might have been a very common event. Uh, it might have been right on a fault line, or might not have been. But the point is, God is using it. God is behind it. God is working out his purposes, because he's the God who rules over the things we can explain and the things that we can't explain. Um, I was reflecting on other miracles in the Bible this week and digging deep into my heart to, and mind just trying to understand what are, what, what are the different kinds of miracles in the Bible and some of them are so extraordinary that you just think, I just don't know. In heaven one day, we'll, maybe we'll ask Jesus and he'll tell us. But other ones were actually told in the Bible. A massive miracle of... Um, the Israelites escaping from Egypt, uh, God parting the Red Sea. How does God do that? Exodus 14 tells us he did it by a great east wind that opened up the waters. Uh, He used a natural means, uh, a a means that I take it 
in weather patterns we can understand, but God did it. It's no less miraculous because he used natural means. God is the God of the ordinary and the extraordinary. Using the laws of nature um, and sometimes breaking them. Uh, But even the laws of nature, even the earthquake and the wind, are not independent from God. God uses them. In fact, Acts chapter 17, um, we'll look at this next week, Paul says, for in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. Everything happens because God makes it happen. God is the sustainer of the universe. God brings life and health and everything else is is from his hand. Uh, It's the idea in Hebrews chapter 1, the Son, Jesus, sustains all things by his powerful word. Word, sorry, his powerful word. How, How does the universe stand up? How does the universe work and function? It's because of God's word. God causes it to happen and continues to sustain it. How does your heart beat? It's because God says, beat, beat, beat. Why does the world spin, 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 spin? And some of those things we can explain and some of the things we can't explain. That's not the point. The point is God is doing it. Uh, I don't know how many of you are fans of C.S. Lewis. I've, over the years, been really helped by C.S. Lewis, um, really enjoyed his Narnia series, the books, the movies. Um, but, yeah, clever man, and God used him to think, get us to think about miracles. Uh, so I pulled out his book on miracles. Uh, he points to Jesus turning water into wine, and he says, actually, you know, it's not that remarkable that Jesus did that. You know, actually, and he's not downplaying the miracle. He's just saying God's been turning water into wine for since the beginning of time. He's just doing it more quickly on this occasion. <laughs> um, God, God's always, that's how it works, isn't it? That's how God made, miraculously made the world. That the, the rain comes down, the, it's absorbed into the soil, it can go into a vine, it can become a grape, it can be crushed, it can be fermented, it can turn into wine. It's just that Jesus has done it in an instant. If God is the God who can only... um, If God is only at work through the things we can't explain, then can you see that God becomes smaller and smaller and smaller? Uh, It's a terrible place to be. But if God is at work in all things... That is a big God, that nothing is beyond him. He uses everything for his purposes. He causes the the sun to rise this morning. That is his work. He caused you to breathe, to come to church. That's his work. That's where you see the hand of God. And if he's only the God of the extraordinary, he's a much smaller God. We need to think about that. But if he's got, if he's, if he's both the God of the things we can explain and the things we can't explain, he's an extraordinarily big God. Now, something else that comes out of this is um, to think about is guidance. Um, apparently, I, I wasn't aware of this, but this chapter is used for Christians to understand guidance or, or understand a, a piece of guidance. Um, and that the idea, again, that God guides through the miraculous God guides through the things I can't explain. 
Um, so I'm going through life and how do I know which way to turn? It's when I can't explain it. I think, I think some people do use that term, the God moment. Um, now we've already seen, some people want to say that for Paul with him being led by the Spirit and stopped by the Spirit. But you've got to be careful there, haven't you? You don't know how that happened. It may have been the miraculous, it may not have been. Um, but it's interesting, even the vision that Paul has uh, that clearly guides him uh, notice down in verse 10, uh, he sees the vision. Let me read it for you, verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I reckon there's, there's something in the word concluded. He's seen the vision. Presumably, presumably they've thought about it. They might have even discussed it and prayed about it, we're not sure. But they've concluded that they should go to Macedonia to preach the gospel. And I take it that if if it was another kind of vision that said something different, they might have concluded, no, no, that's not the way to go. But the fact that Jesus has said the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth, the fact that they couldn't go north, they couldn't go south, they're in Troas, they're they're about to go over the... Should we go over the water and there's a vision from a man... I think give it a, you should go across and, and help Macedonia. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Even, uh, interesting, when the door of the jail gets open, you think to yourself, is, that's a sure sign, surely, that God is saying, exit. There is, people use this idea of open doors. The door opens, you should go through it. I didn't notice this until this week, but notice Paul and Silas don't walk through it. The door is clearly open, and they don't walk through it uh, because the jailer is about to commit suicide. They, they comfort the jailer. He gets converted. And so they don't see that the, the, the open door is a sure sign from God to walk through it. There's actually more going on, isn't there? There's love for the jailer. There's wisdom. There's the gospel's going to the ends of the earth. Hang on a minute. The gospel's going to this man. <laughs> we need to stay. Um, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on. So the open door is actually a very unreliable means of knowing God's guidance. Um, and there are occasions in 2 Corinthians where Paul clearly doesn't take the open door. Um, and so what do you do, I take it, what, what do you do when God gives you the open door? You need to consider it. It would be good to pray about it. It would be good to discuss it with other wise and godly brothers and sisters. And what do you do when God gives you a closed door? It may not be the end of the opportunity. It may be that you need to push harder. It may mean that you need to, to wait. And so there's all that kind of stuff going on. But what's the big point of Acts 16? What's, what's really going on here? What is the truly miraculous thing that's going on here? Did you pick it as, as we went through it? If you have eyes to see it, if you can see, it's not the spirit determining their journey. It's not the vision. It's not the escape from jail. Actually... The whole framing of Acts tells us what it is. Remember what Acts is about? Acts is about Jesus saying to his apostles, in the power of the Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, uh, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what's happening in Acts 16? Acts 16 is a record of that taking place, of the gospel going to new places. What's the big thing here? It's that people are being saved. Don't miss that. Uh, 
how are they being saved? It's, it's, it's what we learned last week in Acts 15, isn't it? Through trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's what, it's what Paul fought for so, so strongly, that by God's grace, people would be saved. And don't miss, there's three people in this chapter, isn't it, who turn to Jesus miraculously. That would not have happened without God's intervention. That is what Acts is all about. Look at, look at it quickly with me. Lydia uh, is, uh, is, who is she? She's a wealthy Asian uh, businesswoman. Uh, she's, um, she deals in purple cloth. She runs an expensive fabric or even clothing store. So I don't know what that is in today's world. Uh, it's not Spotlight, it's not Lowe's. It's something quality. And, and there she is. She's down at the river. She's at the, the place of prayer because that's where the Jews were gathered because there was no synagogue. Apparently, you needed 10 men to make a synagogue. So uh, there's, there's not as many Jews there. And that's where she is. She's a worshipper of God. She's used to the gathering of God's people, uh, even if she's not a Jew herself. And what, what happens? She hears of Jesus through Paul, she trusts him, and she's converted. Uh, her whole household is baptized. She's baptized, her whole household is baptized. And notice her life is instantly changed, isn't it? She shows hospitality towards the, um, Paul and his companions. She actually, you, you get the impression that she comes up later too, she becomes an ally to the mission. She's, I'm on board with this, I'm with Jesus, I'm with you. Um, and, then, and then what else? The second person is the slave girl. It's a little bit more ambiguous that she's converted, but she's certainly enslaved by a spirit. Uh, Paul proclaims that spirit to, to flee, and she's freed from evil and her overlords. And you could assume she becomes a follower of Jesus. It's a little unsure. But the jailer is unmistakable, isn't it? He's probably a retired Roman soldier. You, know, you can imagine a hard man, a man used to violence and brutality uh, here he is on the brink of despair in his life he's about to commit suicide um, he feels like his life's come to an end he must have witnessed paul and silas faith in jail their singing their prayer experiences the earthquake asks how can i be saved how can i have this hope and he trusts in jesus and isn't it interesting that phrase there he's he's washing the wounds of paul and silas um, as he's just been washed by Jesus. I think we're meant to see that. Uh, and then he is baptised and his household is baptised and he shows hospitality towards Paul and Silas. Um, who are you going to have over for lunch today? Um, it's remarkable, isn't it? People saved, people moving from darkness to light, the spirit of Jesus reaching in and rescuing people, turning them from enemies of God to friends of God. And so what's, what's, the, what's the big point of the chapter? What's the main, what would you say is the most important verse in this chapter? I reckon it's verse 14. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's message. Now, on one level, it's, it's completely explicable what happened to Lydia. Paul explains something. He explains the historical Jesus to her. She understands it. She accepts him. She comes to faith. The, the, you know, he, there's, that's something quite ordinary in, in some sense. But extraordinary is that God opens the heart of Lydia to respond. That, that's something else bigger that's going on, isn't it? Uh, it's the idea in the Bible that you've, you've moved from darkness to light. Only God can do that. It's the idea um, that Jesus says you need to be born of the Spirit. You know, this, you can't, this is not just... This is understanding Jesus, but there's more going on. 
It's the idea in, in 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul says, Satan has blinded the hearts and minds of people. The word of the gospel is going to come in and shine light and break it open and you're going to become a follower of Jesus. It's what Paul says about not being ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. The word of God will change people. It's the idea in 1 Corinthians 1 when Paul says, Jews demand signs and Greeks Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It feels so ordinary. It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's extraordinary. Well, let me, let me finish with some applications as um, time's running out. Uh, what about for us? Um, two, two, two things for us. Uh, and the second, uh, the first one has got three little points. Um, first, one, first one is, you've just got to get how big God is, yeah? Don't settle for a small God uh, who's just the God of the gaps, just the God of the one, the God who only turns up when you can't explain it. No, no, God is the God of all. The ordinary and the extraordinary are very important to understand that, very important to get that. God is big. God is sovereign over all things. And I reckon here's my three little points. If you don't get that, if you believe God is only at work in the things you can't explain, in the miraculous, there's some pretty dire consequences. First one is, I reckon it'll breed insecurity in you. You'll you'll constantly wonder, is God really there? You'll constantly wonder, is God really with me? Um, Jesus has called me all my life to follow him. It's a massive call. But is he actually there? Where do I see the hand of God? Is Is he with me? And you'll keep chasing the miraculous. I don't know whether you've been tempted for this, but I've certainly seen Christian brothers and sisters do this, constantly looking for God in the miraculous and that becomes their pursuit that becomes their distraction and secondly I reckon that that breeds gullibility you're so desperate to see God at work that you'll fall for some really bad stories that aren't true you'll even you'll want to believe it and if it's your story you'll even bend the truth to tell it because you want God to be evident and present. Uh, there was a story going around in a, in a previous church that I was a part of, in another life, in another universe that you don't even know about. Um, another church that, that just had this coming out of them was constantly these miraculous things happening. And it did raise questions for people who said, how come they always have those miraculous stories and we don't? Or how come they have so many uh, and so I did raise this question for people. And there was a story that came out from that church that a man in that church, um, this story sadly captures pr- pretty much everything I've spoken against this morning. Uh, a man in that church said, I don't know where God wants me to serve. Um, so I'm going to turn up to an airport and I'm just going to wait for someone to give me a ticket. Um, and... Wherever that ticket takes me is where I know God wants me to serve. And so he claimed that's what he regularly did. But then on one occasion, he got to the airport and he said there was no... He waited and waited and waited and there was no one there to give him a ticket. And so he went to the bathroom 
maybe because he was waiting for so long, um, goes into the bathrooms, goes into the cubicle, and he claims that when he comes out of that cubicle, he is in Los Angeles, California. And it's just this extraordinary story that's not backed up by anyone else, has no other historical details or um, connections that he's, he's, he's saying. And you go, there's something dramatically wrong with your view of God. Uh, it actually becomes, in the end, so self-centred, it becomes about you, not, not about Jesus. And here's the worst thing about it. I reckon it actually takes our eyes off what the truly miraculous is, that someone's become a Christian, that I need to help others become Christian. Look at what God is doing. See, you, you end up not being interested in that at all because it just seems too ordinary. You even, you even classify people's testimonies as the ones that God was really at work and, oh yeah, you know, but you grew up in a Christian family. Crazy. Uh, there, was, there, was a, there was a youth leader when I was a youth leader, when I was young and hip. <laughs> Decades ago, um, there was a youth leader, very, and this, this question stuck in my mind for years. We'd, we'd, we'd had a youth camp, um, one of the youth had become a Christian and she said to me afterwards, she said, Michael, what would you rather, under your ministry, someone become a Christian or someone be healed? And even then I was like, surely someone becoming a Christian is a, is a bigger deal. But I think she was so obsessed with the miraculous that she was like, oh, I'm not sure. I think it might be the miraculous. I, I, want, I want to see people healed. See how terrible it is? The last thing that's really terrible about it is I reckon it leads you to a lack of thankfulness. The less and less miraculous, the less and less inexplicable stuff you see that means you actually thank God less. You don't realise that God is at work in a whole bunch of stuff in your life that is pretty ordinary, pretty mundane, but God is there in it. When God heals you through doctors and medicine and an operation, thank God for it. Not just when the doctors can't explain it, sometimes they can't. And so be thankful. And be thankful for your conversion. God is uh, present in every conversion. So don't ever think, oh, my story is not the story of the jailer. My story is more like the story of Lydia. I grew up in church circles. I knew God was there. God has reached into your heart in a very personal way. It never would have happened without his presence. And so I reckon that causes us to be thankful. And also, before we pray, it causes us to pray, doesn't it? To realise this is God's work. This is him at work. I need to ask him. I need to pray big prayers for myself, for my friends, for people to become followers of Jesus, for us at Salt, for Wollongong, to see thousands of people turn to Jesus, hundreds of new churches come into existence, that would be extraordinary. That's the work that God's doing. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, thanks for speaking to us through Acts chapter 16. Uh, Father, thanks for your, your miraculous hand in all things, both the mundane, the ordinary, but also the extraordinary, the things we can't explain. Father, thank you for your work of seeing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, go out to the ends of the earth, go out in this 
chapter to Europe, to new people, to new places. Father, thank you that in your kindness and mercy, it's come all the way to us. Father, help us to have a big picture of who you are. Open our hearts and minds to see what you're truly doing in the world. Our Lord, help us to be prayerful, help us to be thankful. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.